The ancient Egyptians celebrated festivals, entirely or partially, in temples. These were sacred places where humans could approach the gods. Therefore, it is imperative to understand the character of the temples as separate entities from the world, because they are in the lands that first appeared. The number of temples built by other ancient cultures is unparalleled. They have been classified as mansions of the deities, models of Egypt and the cosmos, focal points of worship, portals to the divine, islands of order amid oceans of chaos, and spiritual engines. Despite the physical stone of these temples, we can still perceive much of their symbolic nature, the deeper reason for their construction beneath the surface. It was said that there were two types of temples, namely A, the houses of the gods serving their patron deities, and B, the temples serving the royal cult of the son of Re, before he died for his said festivals and in his mortuary cult. Egypt's history has been characterized by a thick curtain of silence between its sacred temples and the outside secular world. The earliest traces date back to pre-dynastic, circa 6000 to 6500 BCE in Nabta Playa, whereas the last temple of Isis at Philae was closed by Emperor Justinian in 535 CE. Theodosius in 384 CE had ordered the closure of the temples in Egypt, officially ending the pagan era. Among the most important of these monuments are sanctuaries and treasuries, offices and palaces, and schools. These church complexes were the center of government, economy, and commerce, but they were also the home of science and scholarship, and generations of learned priests pursued the study of existence itself. There is a growing belief that modern spirituality lacks the passion, devotion, and reflection caused by the oldest religions. These religions have intertwined mind, body, and soul with mythic themes throughout history. The Egyptian temple exhibited this by enfolding its constituents in grand celebrations accompanied by time-honored liturgy, music, and ritual. The mythology of the Neteru and their powers within the sanctuary provides a model of behavior and experience for every stage of life and every profession or station. Additionally, the ancient Egyptians belonged to a society that revered their origins and found their existence in nature. We can only imagine what society would be like if every aspect of our lives, from the design of our clothing and architecture to the calendar of our work, leisure, and spiritual pursuits, reflected such a pure vision of order and harmony. Egypt did not monopolize this spiritual vision but her religious tradition was acclaimed for its depth, scope, and duration even in ancient times. Traveler historian Diodorus Siculus described Orpheus as being initiated into Osirian rites of Egypt and bringing them to Greece. Ptolemy Soter, founder of the Greek dynasty that reigned Egypt at the end of the Roman Empire, consulted the Egyptian priest Manetho to organize a unifying theological mandate for the region by Hellenizing the cults of Asa and Auset. Greek rationalism influenced the religious traditions they discovered in Egypt, while the Romans who followed brought a homogenization of all the Oriental doctrines they encountered. 
During the Greco-Roman era, Egyptian temple traditions had spread to nearly every civilized country, and with them came a spiritual program that was influenced by the diverse themes of Eleusinian, Mithraic, and Dionysian religions they encountered, as well as one of the most exemplary aspects of Egyptian esoteric tradition, the mysteries. At first, the priesthood performed Egyptian initiation rites and ceremonies, and was preceded by a lengthy study and religious service in the temple. Before achieving status offices, special rites of purification and dedication preceded entry into the Divine House, followed by a service at the Perneta for a designated period. As one grew in age, knowledge and experience, spiritual development improved. When they retired from active service, those who accomplished in the temple gained the title Artfnete, Father of the God, and were considered pontiffs. Besides living at the Divine House, they may have traveled and taught at other religious centers. They may have been regarded as scholars and the ultimate authorities on a temple's history and customs. Afnete was also the title of the highest religious counselor of the royal house, who acted as a spiritual mentor or father to the king. Through the festivals and festivities of the temple, Spiritual instruction was widely available to those outside the priesthood. Within the precinct of the holy ground, sacred drama depicted themes of birth, royal ascension, death, and renewal. Additionally, a significant number of devotees freely traveled to the temple centers to take part in rites and receive blessings from sacred ceremonies to honor the extraordinary powers of the gods. The mystic religions of the period contained elements that differed from Egypt's ancient doctrine. While the Greco-Roman mysteries that were practiced at provisional sites throughout the scattered colonies of the Mediterranean lacked the infrastructure of Egypt's ancient temples, they possessed a powerful attraction. Direct access to sacred dramas and rites was rare in Egyptian temples on foreign soil. In Rome, where Egyptian religion was considered a corrupting vestige of Hellenistic culture, much of the temple's daily rituals were underground. Keeping it hidden from the political elite, who viewed the enigmatic philosophy of the Nile sages as a dissident of Roman authority was necessary. In the Roman tradition of the cult flames, lay people assumed priestly duties. Unlike their Egyptian counterparts, they held public ceremonies rather than summoning the gods through private encounters. On entering the cult, the candidate's discretion was tested first. Then, baptism, oaths were recited, and communal meals were shared. Under such circumstances, initiation rites were merely pledges of loyalty and support of the foreign gods, while their rituals were celebrated in the most apparent, diluted manners. A hierarchy populated many temples, strengthened through hereditary succession in Egypt. Others, however, were based on a system of intellectual advancement and seniority. It was always a matter of religious ritual that conferred titles and temple responsibilities. Except for those associated with kingship, little is known about them. Shetan, mysteries or secret rites, was a religious ceremony practiced by select temple members, involving ritual drama, elaborate ceremonies, and spells of protection and transformation on the soul entering the area of the Niteru. 
Inscriptions of the genre are found in the sarcophagus chamber of the Osirion at Abydos, the Edfu mystery play of Heru, and the chambers of the Unas pyramid in Saqqara. Details of reserved ceremonies accompanying the initiation of kings into the holy precinct can also be found in the magnificent temple of Amun at Karnak and the Luxor temple. Members of the royal house and their ceremonial clothes interacted with the gods within this holy precinct. Ashton Jones, an Egyptologist of the 19th century, reaffirmed a notion on these matters echoed by the ancients and accepted by most modern scholars, but without documentation. Although not all priests were admitted indiscriminately to that honor, it was the honor and privilege of the priests to be inducted into the mysteries, and the Egyptians did not trust these mysteries to everyone, nor did they degrade them by disclosing them to the vulgar. They were thus reserved for the heir apparent of the throne and priests who excelled in virtue and wisdom. They were classified into the extraordinary and the less extraordinary to prepare for a fuller revelation of their secrets. Undoubtedly, the Egyptian initiation program differed significantly from later beliefs. In the Greco-Roman world, Grades of spiritual progress could be judged by one's willingness to accept the blessings offered by a distant foreign power, rather than assuming that power. As a result, adeptship in the gods' mysteries was achieved through physical and mental purification from the outside world. People often personified these forces as antagonistic, competing gods in subordinate cultures. Egyptian initiation is unique if we understand it to refer to entry into a higher life in concert with divine life. The sacred texts portray it as a series of psychic transformations, a metamorphosis that awakens latent spiritual powers already living within an individual. In temple and tomb inscriptions, these metamorphoses are often symbolized by the initiate's assumption of animal and divine forms representing the latent functions of the body, mind, and soul being reactivated. Transformation and the Physics of it In Egypt's esoteric tradition, the divination of the body is a central theme in sacred art, physical science, and religious practice. One's physical functions are transformed into eternal, supracorporeal powers. It was believed this process resulted in the constitution and use of a higher physical body derived from the lower, carnal body, a process alluded to in the ancient mystery religions, but never explained so clearly as in the sacred literature of Egypt. In ancient times, the transformation was viewed as a natural and continuous process in nature. Humans were the ultimate recipients of its power. The process itself was called kepeh, evoking Kepri, Lord of Transformations, the driving force behind significant cyclic and personal changes. Being the progenitors of change and evolution in the universe, the Neteru were believed to be subject to transformation. Kons, in his lunar aspect, for example, was recognized as both the luminary in the sky and responsible for all new cycles on Earth, as expressed in an ancient hymn that said, in the morning you are a child, in the evening you are an older man, and you are youth at the beginning of the year. In addition, these powers were not limited to divine beings. 
One of Ra's morning salutations proclaimed that the solar power of Ra was transmitted daily to the living. Through invocation and ceremonies, the Neter's transformative powers were acknowledged and sought in the mystic environment of the temple. While Alsef's magical force dispelled destructive influences, Sakmet could reverse disease and make the body whole. Additionally, the tremendous transformative forces were believed to accumulate in the tomb in a potent form that enabled the soul to recover its earthly functions. The soul would use these forces voluntarily in the afterlife. Egyptians strongly believed that material substances could be converted into spiritual energy. During these transformations, humans were also thought to serve as conduits. One example of this is the regular provision of material offerings at the tomb by the dead relatives. Through the transformation of tomb offerings into chifa, a mysterious substance on which spirits thrive and grow, the mystic environment of the grave was created. Besides human participation, religious celebrations initiated the transformations of the Neteru. The Ipet festival of ancient Thebes included invoking the return of Hapi's effigy during the flood and the potency of Amun. At the annual public mysteries celebrated at Abydos, pilgrims fashioned images of Asa's body parts from the last harvest's grain and fused them into a form to symbolically bring the Neter back to life. The role of nourishment as prima materia in these transformations was emphasized. Magic was the ultimate technology of transformation for the individual's divine maturation, besides natural processes and psychic imitation in public rituals. An excellent illustration of this can be found in funerary literature, in which a process is outlined for the transition from material to spiritual existence, with the physical body being considered the prima materia. As one takes on spiritual powers, one becomes one with the god. On one of the golden shrines around Tutankhamun's sarcophagus, Auset informs the young king of this symbiosis. Ra makes transformations in heaven and is born in the morning like you. Eventually, he assumes the powers of the god and is told, And your forms are like shoes when he rises in the morning. The new day is always dawning. In addition, the soul undergoes transubstantiation in the final stage becoming divine physically and spiritually. Through Tutankhamun, he becomes the solar aspect of transformation itself. In heaven, the king will continue to live as his father Ra every day forever. Another ancient proclamation describes this process as the royal person becomes the progeny of divine beings, and the Neteru themselves are told, You are the king's body and your flesh is the king's flesh, your bones are the king's bones. As you move, the king moves. Utterance number 219. The Egyptian mysteries were formed through identification with the Neteru, the assumption of their power, and the subsequent transubstantiation of form. Why was this mystic scheme necessary, and how was it accomplished? According to the Egyptian sacred literature, the answer lies in the science of occult anatomy and the mandate of its spiritual evolution. In Egyptian metaphysics, maintaining a state of natural, unadulterated health, whether physical, spiritual, or natural, 
represented the highest ideal because the primordial reality was vital and flawless. Mart was considered the original state of the universe. Humans were considered descendants of the Neteru possessing active divine powers. The Numina in nature communicated freely with divine and human life. Sometimes life creates a barrier that prevents this original state from existing, and death can end it. Continually resolving these hindrances allowed the mysteries to fulfill the sacred ideology of returning to primeval unity. When physical life ends, the worst fate is divided and scattered. A dissolution resulted in the loss of identity and personal power, as portrayed in the mythic destruction of Asa. A mutilated form must be found, and then it must be consecrated through a mystical reassembly and its inherent powers restored. This is the prototype of the Osirian funerary ceremonies and the paradigm of the mystery tradition. Division and dissolution of the body are not the only cause for concern. The individual's consciousness interacts with energies from several planes, resulting in a multidimensional human life. Dispersing such energies can cause a loss that is greater than death itself in that it can destroy all that the ancestral soul and the reservoir of future creation have contributed to the individual. The individuality of a highly accomplished person can be lost to oneself and society. Egypt valued this legacy because of its value to total existence and because it allowed the soul to express itself on all planes instead of being confined to one. As soon as the body, the vital force, the soul and the spirit cease to interact in mortal existence, forces of dissolution intersect on a physical and subtle level. According to the Egyptian mysteries, these principles can be combined to prevent this cataclysm. As a governing motive, this is the motive behind temple offerings and rituals. Additionally, this mystic fusion can be embodied in acts that invoke the powers of the Neteru. These powers prepare one to transition from mortal to immortal life by animating the body during its lifetime. As part of the transition into inner life, it was vital to harness the Ka and Ba's accumulated energies and maintain their cohesion with the body. Mummification rituals aimed at restoring the physical form, Kaat, also restored the Ka and Ba to their original identities with the deceased. Because the car is a vehicle of ethereal matter, it transmits the vitality of the spirit world to the body in life. In death, it transmits the energies of the material world to inner life. To sustain the car, regular nourishment is provided at the tomb. Since the bar represents a person's soul and memory of the accumulated experience, it can only maintain its relationship to the mortal world by retaining the functions of the car. This invocation from the Book of Going Forth articulates the desired fusion between these spiritual elements. When my soul tarries, grant that my spirit will be united with my body, the 89th chapter. He uses the Pythagorean 345 triangle, which Plutarch regarded as the building block of nature, to illustrate the relationship between these principles. The perpendicular side of the triangle is equal to 3 representing divine intelligence, Ach. The base is equal to four, reflecting the principle of material form, Kart, and its companion, Ka. 
Five is the hypotenuse, the connecting principle between the material and the divine, the soul. This vehicle can span all realms between the spiritual and the physical. The Arch is the central figure in this metaphor, a being bonded to the spiritual realm, the sublime destination of the mortal worlds. In contrast to the car and the bar, it was not considered by the Egyptians to be a natural vehicle within human existence. Instead, it had to be created by the lower bodies through magical technology of transformation. From the essence of the lower bodies, this body would spring forth into the higher worlds and, in doing so, would refine and redeem the matter from which it originated. Transformation in Three Stages Did individuals seek spiritual fulfillment through these mystical processes before their death? Scholars and metaphysicians have often alluded to this possibility, but it has rarely been directly discussed. Neither the Egyptians nor their sacred literature explicitly claimed this, but some passages support the pursuit of spiritual transformation for the living unequivocally. During the six-day feast, the first quarter of the lunar cycle, making transformations is specified in the Book of Going Forth. After the recitation of the Hekau, the passage states, Every initiate who does this while alive will not perish, because he is alive he will never die again and go forth by day as Heru, the 136th chapter. It concludes with an admonition of secrecy regarding the power and use of the rite. Infiltrating the Duat and going forth by day refers to the mystical process of entering the divine life in any state of being and returning uninjured. Anyone who knows this passage on earth, or whose coffin contains it, goes forth by day in any form and returns to his seat unhindered. The 72nd chapter. The last and most mysterious initiation is revealed in chapter 80, titled Initiation into a God of Light. The two candidates, Heru and Set, unite in the initiate's body, and Asa, he who has perished in Abydos, is raised. Once fused with the woman who lightens darkness, a celestial being who penetrates the deep and makes it bright, the body takes on crystal, turquoise and lapis lazuli qualities. The final transformation is the culmination of three processes. The promise of never dying again, entering the inner realm unhindered and transforming into a celestial being, exemplifies the fundamental dispensations of the lunar, solar and stellar temples. In the Pair R, Great House, the sanctum of the Lunar Mysteries, consciousness was sought with the organic intelligence responsible for rejuvenating the land and, ultimately, the soul. The individual was united to the ancestral soul in the tomb through the six-day feast and other lunar stations, and this unified the individual with the ancestral soul. A continual regeneration of organic life was invoked in the temple in ceremonies that recreated the anthropogenesis of divine beings into the living world, rejuvenating the land and its inhabitants. Events occurred throughout the sacred year in a field of time linked with lunar orbit, in its cyclic stations of darkness, increasing light and illumination. The maintenance of cosmic order was emulated in rituals of the Pair Ankh, the Temple of the Solar Mysteries, by keeping track of the continuous cycle of light throughout the day, 
and invoking celestial powers to rid the sky of the denizens of the night when the sun set. During these observances, the pharaoh or his emissary, the spiritual agent of the pharaoh, embodied the fusion of divine and dark forces in the cosmic sphere and the harmony between spirit and flesh on earth. The Père Ankh valued the powers of organic intelligence. As the sun moved through space, fusion with moral intelligence symbolized by the solar light offered a pearl of wisdom to the initiate, which included a knowledge of cosmic order and induction into a social pattern based on it, inaugurated on earth in a timeless time. Because of becoming a member of the Heru Shemsu, followers of Heru, its members gained the power to raise their souls, the Ba, to the flaming world of creation. In the Peh He, Temple of Eternity, the celestial mysteries marked the journey of the transforming soul to its top destination, a field of time marked by the enduring cycles of precession in the sky. The initiate was endowed with the Ach, a body of luminous clouds that existed with the imperishable stars, and became permanently incorporated into their cosmic landscape through fusion with the cosmic intelligence that created the SBA star as the gateway into the cosmos. In addition, stellar rituals imparted the wisdom of parthenogenesis, the knowledge of bringing forth from one's own self the divine and infernal forces that create an existence in the cosmic realms. The coffin texts reveal this mystery as the king is incorporated into stellar life. Please make way for me, since I am the Ark who passes through the gatekeepers. I may see Nun and Amun. They do not speak out of fear of he whose name is hidden, who is in my body. I am equipped, and I can open his portal. He will become Ra in the eastern heaven if one knows this spell, as Asa in the Duan. The flame will not touch him in the fire circle. These transformations were accomplished through the choreography of cosmic resonance, sacred architecture, and ritual, the practice of sacred science. The Ark, the body of luminous endurance, was the ultimate realization of the mysteries, and perhaps the ultimate evolution of humanity. A Lunar Transformation Osirian mysteries emerged from the cyclic expression of time and the revelation of timelessness intrinsic to the Nile Valley's environment. The daily pulse of sunrise and sunset, the monthly rhythm of lunar light, the seasonal procession of constellations in the night skies, and the constant reappearance of a river flood each year brought nourishment to the land and life to its inhabitants. The extent to which these phenomena were observed before they became fantastical elements in a universal myth that assumed the utmost importance in the everyday lives of Nile dwellers is unknown. At the beginning of Egypt's history, an image encompassing both the visible, visible face of cyclic time and the transformative mystic power of immortality emerged as Asa, the god of the living and dead. Legend and myth imbue Egyptian history with Asa as the founder of its land, emerging from the mists of history first as a demigod and progenitor of the Egyptian race, then as the inventor of agriculture and preceptor of social law, and finally as the creator of the hereditary line of the pharaohs, as the heirs to Egypt's beleaguered throne. The most beloved and revered of Egypt's divine heroes, 
He transformed into images ranging from the somber Sokar of ancient times to the radiant Greco-Roman Serapis, yet remained unchanged over the ages. The exceptional level of Asa has been equated with Egypt itself, revealing the enigmatic mystery of how Egypt is rejuvenated by the annual flood brought from the Ethiopian highlands by Auset's consort and dumped in the Nile Valley by the waters pushed by her. As a result, his image is transformed into its green aspect, by which he invigorates the soil. Even though he appears passive and restrained throughout this cycle, his power remains inexorable and all-encompassing. Renewing Asa with the mystic rites of his death, restoration and renewal is a metaphor for all organic life, bound to cyclic law but transcended by its continuation power. The dual powers of transcendence and recurrence are intimately connected to his divine genealogy. He is empowered with the powers of the sky, which reflect and contain the journeys of cosmic beings who have descended from sacred regions into the visible world. Besides being a being of the physical world, he is the son of Geb. He is subject to the rotating limits of light and dark, but can use the powers he inherited from his celestial grandparents by releasing them alternately. Additionally, Asa's role as a prototypical man is infused with the duality of human existence, the ageless paradigm of mortality. Having overcome an obstacle imposed by a jealous brother and gaining the respect of the people he rules, his life is a succession of tragedies and triumphs. During the last episode of the series, even his dismemberment and death are miraculously restored, and a son is born to avenge his horrific murder. By transcending chaos, Asa can remove himself from the time field where it exists, entering a world beyond its power. The character of his character also fully assumes its breadth at this point. Asa once governed an unlimited realm inhabited by all the souls of the past, the ancestral body, a member of the living present now. The seed of new life, the future, comes from his body, the young Heru who restores the order inaugurated by his father. Asa is not resurrected in the imaginary scenario of these mysteries, nor is he reborn into the world of time. He rises to rule over timeless time, the world of the past and future. His descendants repeat this attainment, those who have Osirified, who transcend the temporal world and enter the next, receiving the reward of his sacrifice and the promise of eternal life. Every human journey into the Western land accomplishes the feat of transcendence. The supremacy of Asa does not end here. Having overcome the vicissitudes of mortal life, he also transcends the limits of the Duat, as expressed in the funerary literature of the Osirian tradition. He walked through complex zones and regions of the shadow worlds, each presenting an archetypical challenge to one's spiritual inheritance. Although the Duat poses many dangers to the sojourner, each stage of the journey also awakens buried powers that mortal life had veiled with the body's envelope. With this impediment removed, the soul can now progress to the beautiful Elysian fields of the Sechet Iaru the perfect state reached by the original Awakened One. Transformations assumed by Asa and his surrogates through these processes 
represent the limitless manifestations of his power in the natural world, transmitted to the individual soul as continuous adaptation and regeneration, the power of reoccurrence. Solar Transformation Death is the seat of life. Historically, Heru was conceived when he superseded Asa at the moment of his father's death. He became the embodiment of active, conscious existence rather than his father's passive, unconscious existence in the shadows. Prior to his emergence into the physical world, Heru was said to have been a potentiality in the womb of Nut, and then a seed passing into the body of Auset that needed only to be quickened by death to become a living being. Heru's existence was fraught with conflict once incarnate, his continued opposition came from Set, who challenged his sovereignty and devised several schemes to overthrow Egypt's natural succession. Heru lost his left eye, a depiction of the lunar orb, but Jehuti restored it in one scenario. As part of sacred rituals, this act is commemorated by the presentation of offerings at both the temple and the tomb. The eye of Heru became a metaphor for the re-established nourishment functions and qualities lost in the body's division at death, and in the nightly ebb of Nitae's power in the sanctuary. Dividers and separators are set. As he destroys the harmony of nature, he breaks apart that which is united. The god's region and the living's region are separated in the sky by him. As Heru's last act of reconciliation, he obtained the scepter of his adversary, Seb-Ur. The lower realms of senses and joining were matter and spirit. Through this magical implement, Heru reopened the path between the two realms of earth and sky, bringing a new life to his father and restoring his earthly existence. Opening the mouth was also performed at temples and in tombs as part of the grand opening of the mouth festival, a rite that restored physical functions of speaking and eating to the disembodied spirits ensuring effective energy transmission through all dimensions. A royal person's goal and the culmination of the solar initiation is this act. As time passes, organic life develops with the cyclic change generated by the lunar rhythm, but conscious life depends upon a more immediate order, symbolized by the rhythm of darkness and illumination, night and day. A primary role of Heru was to embody this solar rhythm on Earth through the daily subjugation of Set, who represents the threat of disorder and chaos brought about by the division of light in the sun's revolution through the visible and invisible parts of the sky. At a mystic level, he achieved this not by annihilating his enemy, but by subduing his power and performing the great symbiosis, integrating order and tumult into Nupti a divinity who combines the fearful divisions of life into a consistent order, Mart. In Heru's reconciliation with Set, he achieved his genealogy as the living solar principle in his pharaonic role, where only he and only he could ascend daily from the earthly sphere and become the sun, a visible manifestation of the creator, like Amun, Atum-Ra, or Mont, bringing light to the world beneath and life to all its inhabitants in a dependable, irreversible cycle. Even the very existence of the gods was rhythmic, and their powers were constantly changing, 
so Set's opposition could never entirely be eradicated. A mender of discord would reappear cyclically because of his continued appearance. After every event of dissolution or diminution, it was necessary to reenact the restoration and resolution scenario to bring about a new beginning. Each new Heru on Earth was invested in this manner continuously in the temple and tomb. The Role of the Pharaoh The five sacred names of kingship were appropriate symbols for the exaltation of Pharaoh in the Egyptian worldview. Having been the son of Asa, he was heir to a vast inner world that he would eventually inhabit and rule over at his death to unite and humanize the past with the future. As a conduit connecting the living and the departed, he maintained the fusion of two dynamic worlds, the visible and the invisible. Heru was alive, triumphant over death, and the father of the next heir. The Heru name, earliest in the titulary of the royal house, represented the particular incarnation of this Neter that Pharaoh represented, and his specific role in joining the ancestral past and the future. Wehemesut, he who revises births, was the designation of Amenemhat I and Seti I. Ankhmesut, he who lives births, was the designation of Senusret, theocratic examples of the Pharaoh Heru, whose name followed successive kings. According to Pharaoh's exaltation, the land of Egypt and its people are interrelated, inseparable living organisms. The royal form was the catalyst of this principle, and it contained both the life force of the land, the cobra, and the essence of its inhabitants, the vulture, in microcosmic proportion. This function was represented by the name Nebti, two ladies. Pharaoh was also the avenging son and cremator of his father's decline and Asa's assassination. The Golden Heru, the Heru Nub name, conveyed this duty, which gave divine status to the royal person after he subdued disorder symbolically through the temple festivals and literally as commander-in-chief of the army. By fusing the north and the south, he maintained equilibrium as arbitrator, judge, and lawgiver. As a result, fusion is represented by Nesu Biti, Sedge and Bee, the two heraldic images of kingship in the throne name. The Sedge symbolized plant intelligence, and the Bee represented animal intelligence. By drawing from both kingdoms, Pharaoh perpetuated Mart. Also, the royal body was the living receptacle of the Neteru, who once descended to earth, established the two lands, and established the royal race, the divine ancestors. In this body, the Neteru maintained their connection to the living and maintained harmony between society and nature. As a result, the king played a crucial role in the daily temple rites and all sacred acts, as symbolized by the Sa-Ra, son of the sun, name. Here, he stood between gods and men, possessing the powers of the Neteru, but possessing the mortality of humans. The principles of kingship cannot exist in stasis. The pharaoh's roles were perpetual, whether complex rituals, military campaigns, or trade expeditions. These were mandated by the five sacred names and required continuous participation and management. According to the temple overseer Sehetepibre at Abydos in Dynasty 12, 
the royal person was crucial in promoting the fertilization of the land. Keep his majesty in your hearts. His eyes seek everyone, and his heart seeks Rhea. Ra is the one who sees with his rays, who lights the two lands more than the sun disk, and makes the earth more verdant than the great harpy. Ra has given the two lands life. Having served as the mediator between gods and men, he later assumed the role of Het Hare's consort, promoting the interests of peace in the temple. Informing her, I tell her I am the one who summons the singer to awaken Het Hare every day and every hour she desires. When I am at her side, I tell her I am glad to see her. May you enjoy life and happiness with Heru who loves you and feasts you on the offerings. May you proceed with reasonable peace. Additionally, in his supreme archaic role of subjugating chaos, Ramesses assumed many gods' souls or appearances before he vanquished the Hittites in the legendary Battle of Kadesh. Like Artum, he is hailed for his beauty when seen. His arms were muscular, his heart stout, and his strength like Mont in his hour. His battles are wily, and he is victorious over all lands. A strong wall surrounds his soldiers, a shield on the day of battle. 